Well, welcome to Livingstone. Really glad you're joining us here this morning. You're, this is your first time. You're kind of jumping in the middle of our Exodus series that we're doing, um, and we're finding ourselves in Exodus chapter 5 this morning. I'll give you a little bit of a backstory. Um, we arrive at this section of Scripture, and if you need a Bible this morning, we'd love to put a Bible in your hands. It, we really believe that we'd love for you to read along with us. So Glenn's got some Bibles. Don't be shy. Grab a Bible. Elijah forgot his this morning, so I can call him out because he's my kid, right? Um, but we won't call anybody else out. But no, just grab a Bible, turn to, and it's page 48 in those pew Bibles. So grab a Bible and turn, and we're going to be looking at this passage. But before we go into this passage, we've got to talk about a little bit what happened last week in order to kind of bring you up to what's going on here in this text. Last week, we left off in this story with the Israelite people crying out to God and or crying out in great persecution is as, as God had came to, to Pharaoh or excuse me Moses went to Pharaoh after God told Moses to go to Pharaoh and Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and when they went to Pharaoh they told Pharaoh hey you need to let God's people go and Moses basically responded with I don't know this God of yours and nor do I need to listen to him he was the, in Pharaoh's mind Pharaoh is is God and the Egyptians back in those days, he was the king of Egypt. He was a god. And, and these people were his possession. And Moses and, and Aaron are coming in saying, basically, you're not a god. And you're definitely not the true god. And, and the true god says, let, let the people go. And, and Pharaoh responds with incredible, brutal tasking upon the Israelites by making them now make bricks without straw. They have to go get their own straw. And doubled their work and kept the quota for the brick-making at the same level. So they're crying out. And, and instead of the Israelites going before God and crying out to God, the Israelites go to Pharaoh, which is kind of counterintuitive. You're going to go to the guy who views you as, as slavery and possession, and, and you're going to go ask him for, oh, please be nice to us, right? Well, Pharaoh says, you lazy people. I mean, he has several times in the text, he's like, you're a bunch of lazy people. Get back to work. And so Pharaoh addresses their laziness and the taskmasters and the, the leaders of the Israelite people come out of meeting with Pharaoh. And who do they bump into as they run out? Moses and Aaron. And in verse 20 of chapter 4, or excuse me, chapter 5, they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. It was necessary for this punishment and severe tasking to be placed upon the Israelite people so their hearts might be revealed. Their hearts are more concerned, their minds are more concerned about with the opinion of Pharaoh than they are worried in the opinion of the Lord God. There's a work to be done. These people need to be led out of Egypt, not just from one place to another, but their hearts need to be changed from a people who are God's people. Themselves as a possession of Pharaoh to being a people who understand that they're God's people. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this text of scripture and our chance to dive into it together. I thank you for, Lord God, this beautiful word. 
You've loved us so much. You have communicated with us in your scriptures. And may we be faithful in studying it and knowing you. In Jesus' name we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I know that was kind of an extended introduction, but I just wanted to bring us kind of all up to the same place as we look at Moses here at the beginning here, excuse me, at the end of chapter 5. So we're going to begin this morning in kind of maybe a, a different place. We're going to begin the, this morning with our story. And, and a crucial part of our story as, as Livingstone Church family is, we're, is, our, is our mission. And our mission, some of you hopefully will remember this or know this, our mission at Livingstone Church is to be a family that follows Jesus and leads others to follow Jesus. That's why we exist. That's why we come together as a family. That's why we celebrate. That's why we do everything we do at Livingstone Church, because we want to follow Jesus, and we want to help others and lead others to follow Jesus as well. So, so this means in this statement that we ourselves desire to know Jesus, because you can't follow somebody you don't know, right? I'm a Denver Broncos fan. Well, I can't really call myself a Denver Broncos fan if I don't know at least like one of the players' names, right? And if I don't you know, know, watch a football game, if I've never watched a game of the Broncos, then how can I really be a fan, right? Well, if we're going to be a follower of Jesus, we've got to know who we're following. And so how do we know Christ and the Word of God? And we at Livingstone, we believe that from Genesis to Revelation, we discover Jesus Christ. In Genesis, we see Jesus. Exodus, we see Jesus. Leviticus, we see Jesus. Yes, and even in Numbers, we see Jesus. Open. Ecclesiastes, yep, Jesus is there. And all the way to Revelation, and Revelation opens with, this is a story about Jesus. All of scriptures tell us and inform us about Jesus Christ, so we study God's word. We pray to our Savior. We spend time with our Lord. And so as followers of Christ, we desire to know our Savior and pursue him. And that pursuit of Christ draws us to help others follow him as well. Because we recognize that's the calling, right? That if we're going to be people who love Jesus, then we're going to lead others to follow Jesus as well. So this morning, we, as we kind of look, maybe, maybe going, okay, that's great. I don't see anything wrong with that. But why are you bringing this up here at this beginning of Exodus? Well, let's look at Moses' story. Moses was called by God through a burning bush where the glory of God was present to go and lead the people out of Egypt. Moses, first off at the burning bush, what did he first begin to learn? He began to learn about God. God revealed himself to Moses in ways that God had not previously revealed himself to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. We see this incredible revelation of God in the burning bush as God was calling out Moses to go lead God's people. So here Moses is learning about God so he can follow God's calling so he can go do what? Lead God's people to follow God. Oh, wait a minute. This is sounding kind of similar here this morning. And, and, and so as we look at this, we see that the, Moses is basically being told by God to go to Pharaoh, to go to the Israelites and say, People of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you are the sons and daughters of the Almighty God. And Yahweh will liberate, redeem, adopt you, and give you a possession where you can live out this life of redemption. I think this is starting to sound maybe a little bit familiar to what we're being called to as well. Most of us here, didn't any burning bush people, any see a burning bush, been given something, God's revelation of himself? No? 
Okay, well, just in case. But we have been given something equally as powerful. And I don't think we get it. And the revelation the Holy Spirit gives to us of who Jesus Christ is and making that truth known to our hearts is just as powerful as a moment as Moses before that burning bush. The Holy Spirit's revelation of Jesus Christ into our lives. And we get this full revelation of God through Jesus because that is who Jesus is. Jesus is the full revealing of God to us. And as we study Christ, we learn more about who God is. And we have been called by God in that revelation to share that truth of Christ with a world that is in captivity and needs to be liberated, needs to be redeemed, needs to be adopted, and needs a a possession that will never fade and never go away, an inheritance that can never be taken. Maybe you're starting to see how these line up this morning. As Moses and Aaron were met by the leaders of Israel as they left out of Pharaoh's presence, and they were basically blasted by the people of Israel. At that moment, my slides for some reason aren't pulling up. I may need some help here to to run my slides. But as Pharaoh was blasted as they walked out, we see if you go to that, that may be what Moses may have been thinking. Lord, this is not what I planned. This is not what I signed up for. You told me that I was going to come and help lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. And now that now we're in, we've really gone backwards because before when I went before the people of Israel and the leaders of Israel and told them God said this, they worshiped. They bowed down and worshiped God. But now they're saying, I hate you. You've made us vomit basically in the mouth of Pharaoh. I hate you for what you've done. And so now Moses is, is really alone on this island. And how is he supposed to lead the people? We want to follow him. It's a tough calling and a tough task. As Moses was called to be a leader in God's redemptive work in people's lives, so are we. I want you to understand this this morning. This calling is not just for Jeffrey and I. Jeffrey is our youth pastor, for those who aren't familiar. Nor is it just for our elders, and nor is it just for our deacons and deaconesses, but the calling of God's redemptive work in people's lives, the calling of helping people follow Jesus, is a calling for every single one of us. Moses was frustrated as he was trying to lead the people. But to Moses' credit, Moses goes to God, doesn't he? Unlike the Israelites, the Israelites who go to who? Pharaoh. They go to the very guy that is oppressing them, expecting relief. Moses is going to go to the one who can give relief, can liberate, can redeem. Verse 22, then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh you speak in your, to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and have not delivered your people at all. God, I'm questioning what you have told me is going to have happen. But you remember what God's setting up. God is setting up not only the physical deliverance of a people, but a spiritual deliverance of a people. And in order for both to have happened, the people have their hearts need to be, have to be revealed. It's been revealed. We can expect God to move, and God will. 
Moses cries out to God in, in complaint and in frustration. But before we get overly critical on Moses, I would like to just consider some other heroes of the faith, if you will, who brought their complaint. Moses, Abraham, Job, David, Jeremiah, even John the Baptist, and most importantly, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus Christ, our Savior himself, cried out to God for deliverance. Brothers and sisters, he is the one who can deliver. He is the one that hears our cries and our prayers. He is a God who is present. Remember his name? I am who I am. He is with us. He cares for us. And so in those moments when we're questioning God's presence, know he is there. But in specifically in light of this text, have you ever been frustrated with someone because maybe they weren't where you thought they should be spiritually? Maybe it's a neighbor or a coworker or a friend that you have been sharing the gospel with over and over again. You have invited them over for meals. You have gone out and given birthday parties for their kids. You have done all these amazing things with them, and they still continue to reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you're frustrated, and you're angry, and you're crying out to God, Lord, when are you going to deliver these people? I'm about ready to give up on them. They're not where I think they need to be. I want to give up. These are some wicked, hard-hearted people, and God, I just want to give up on them. You ever been there? Or even more so, it was, it was pretty funny. One of my pastor friends, Mike Moore, maybe you know Mike. He's one of our elders here at Livingstone. He'd been a pastor for 30 years, and he sent me this great video clip this week of, a, of a, it's somewhere in Europe, a European country, and, that, and they're shepherding the sheep across the road, and this guy is in a car videotaping the, the, the sheep across that road, so the sheep across the road. And all of a sudden, the ram gets it in his mind. He is not going to cross that road. And so he turns around and starts knocking the tar out of that shepherd, butting him over and over again. And he just gets knocked down. And every time he stands up, he gets knocked down again. And maybe some of you have felt that way with other believers in the church as, as you've desired to walk alongside of someone in the church family and you've desired to see them grow in their relationship with God and you desire to see them just, just want to draw into God. And you're like, man, you're so excited about your faith and you want them to have that same excitement. And you're like, why in the world are they not excited with me? And, and, they, and the more they reject you, you feel like you get knocked down and knocked down. And finally, you just want to reach the point where like, I'm done with the church. Nobody's excited as I am. I'm going to go to my closet. I'm going to read my Bible. And I'm going to hang out in my little me, myself, and I trinity and, 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 and worship God. Because no one else is as excited as I am about God. And, and, and I'm just going to withdraw. You ever been frustrated? And you start praying, God, maybe someday they'll get as holy as I am. But they're not there yet. Until they do, I'm going to remain here in my closet. And you know what? We laugh like that, and, and, and I hear you. And, and I don't think that for most of us, we desire to be obedient to the great commission and great commandment of God to love God and to love others. And I think our hearts truly desire to see others love the Lord. 
but our motives are a little bit tainted as we start going, people aren't on my plan when I want them to be there. And this is not the way I thought it was going to go. And we get frustrated with other believers. We get frustrated with non-believers. And we want to withdraw. And instead of continuing God's calling for our lives, we pull away. Moses wisely cries out to God. And the beautiful thing is God answers. And if you're anywhere frustrated this morning with the church family or frustrated with not yet believers who are not coming to faith in Christ or or you've got any of that going on this morning, I really want you to clue in and and hear God's response cry because it is so hope-filled. It is so hope-filled. Go to the next slide, Casey. Thank you very much for doing that. God speaks here in, in Genesis 6, starting in verse, or excuse me, Exodus, thank you, Ethan. Exodus 6, starting in verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of this land. Moses, God's not, Moses, he's telling, God's telling Moses, Moses, God, Pharaoh's not just going to release the people, passively say, fine, go. He's going to literally drive them out. He's going to be so done with the Israelites that he's going to literally drive them out with his power and might out of his land. So, So get ready for it. And God spoke to Moses, and God is so gracious, and he is so good to us, that in our moments of questioning, in our moments of frustration with others, God is patient with us. As we cry out to God in frustration with God, God, Look what you're doing. It's not moving along quick enough. What is this? Your plan's wrong. If you just get on my plan, God, God is patient with us to remind us of who he is. God says to Moses here in verse 2, I am the Lord. This is the divine name for God. Again, anytime you're reading in your Bibles and you see the capital L and the capital O and the capital R and the capital D, but the O-R-D is in like a smaller font. It's referencing Yahweh, the divine name for God. And then the Jews so reverently feared and, 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 and were in awe of the divine name of God, they changed the, how it was even spelt in Hebrew, and so they wouldn't utter the name Yahweh. He says, I am the Lord. And, and this is super important for you because the name of the Lord carries with it very practical promises to us. When we hear the name of the Lord, it should remind us of his promises and his, I appeared that he has kept to us. And he promises to the Lord because this is his name. He says, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. Now, this is interesting here because some people might go, well, wait a minute. I remember reading in Genesis. And in Genesis, it mentions this name of the Lord. In fact, in Genesis, it's mentioned a hundred times. What does he mean by here? Believe what God is pointing out here. We don't have an inconsistency in Scripture. God is making a point to Moses. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did not even know me the way you're about to know me. They did not know me as the liberator, the redeemer, the adopter of, the, of this family, and the one to give them possession. Because you may understand, ever since Abraham left the land of Ur, they have been an immigrant people. 
They have been traveling, moving from one place to another, not having a home. And God is about ready to change all of that. They did not know God as the one who gave them this land of possession. They did not know God as the one to remove them from underneath the power of of another nation. They did not know God as the one to redeem their hearts and minds in this way. God is revealing himself in a way that he has never revealed himself before to Moses. And in the name of the Lord, they're supposed to understand who God is and the promises he's made. Verse 5, or 4, I will establish my covenant with them to give them the land of the Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners, immigrants, travelers. Moreover, I have learned the groaning of my people, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. This is the language that God has already spoken to Moses before. I have heard them. I have seen their affliction. I remember my promises to them. God is reminding Moses, I am who I am. I have been present with the people through promises. Present with you as you go through this. And I am the one who keeps my promises. So say therefore, and we're going to go through seven I will statements. And I'm, I'm all about, I feel very good about writing my Bible. Some people don't. But if you feel good about that and you're good, I'd love for you to circle right up here in verse 2, I am the Lord, and underline all seven I will statements. Because as people remember the name of the Lord, these, the Lord, he is supposed to remember these seven I will statements. And so he says here in verse 6, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. Again, verse 6, circle it, I am the Lord. And I will bring you one out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And two, I will deliver you from slavery to them. These first two I will statements speak of God's liberating the people from underneath the slavery of Pharaoh. God is going to liberate the people. He's going to remove them from underneath Pharaoh's power. Pharaoh will no longer be able to say the Israelite people are my possession. And the Israelite people will no longer be able to say Pharaoh is our master. God is going to liberate them. Number three, he says, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Now, this is interesting, and this is, gonna, this is a big clue into what's coming in the plagues. With God's powerful arm, he's going to do something to the minds and hearts of the Israelite people through the plagues. And when we get there, you're going to understand where I'm at, because I can't give it all away today. You won't come back. So I'm going to have to keep it hanging, right? All right. That's right. We're going to have more coming here. But he is going to do those acts. He's going to redeem their hearts and minds. And I, for the fourth, I will take you to be my Lord, your God. And the fifth, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. God is going to adopt this people as his own. You don't belong to Pharaoh. You're not part of Pharaoh's family. You're not part of Pharaoh's nation. You're part of my family. And I'm going to treat you as sons and daughters. Goes on to say here in verse 8, And I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. Number 7, I will give it to you for a possession. I 
am the Lord. Notice that. Bracketed on both ends. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. What does it mean for him to be I am the Lord? He is the one who makes promises to a wicked, unfaithful people who will be disobedient all along the way. But because of his faithfulness, we get a bank in his name and trust in what he's going to do. He is going to be the God who redeems, who liberates, who adopts, and who gives a people a possession. That's all bound up in the name of the Lord. I don't know if you've ever thought about it that way. What's in the name? It was kind of funny. We did the trivia night at uh, Mo. We did well. I'm still upset with the boarders because they were supposed to tank Tom Robinson's table down, and they didn't. And so now I have to mow Eric Nelson's yard. It's bad to make bets. Bad. One of these days I'll learn, okay? We would call ourselves what's in a name. If you're thinking about what's in a name of the Lord God here, this is powerful and amazing. What's in the Lord's name? It means that he is the liberator, redeemer. He is the one who adopts his children, and he is the one who gives a people a possession. Now, what's amazing about this as we look at this is that he's going to liberate them from Pharaoh. But what happens to the people of Israel as a nation? Well, God tells them to, you know, they travel to the wilderness for a while and they come into the land and they're supposed to conquer all the people, right? But they don't. Surprise, surprise, right? And instead, guess what happens? Another nation, their need of conquers them. And in the book of Judges, over and over and over again, their need of liberating, need of liberating, need of liberating. The people of God are in need of a liberator who can never, ever allow his people to be put in subjection again. We find that liberator in Jesus Christ. That, that, that's, this, is, this is where we discover Jesus Christ in this text, that this is because of who God is. He is promising a liberator that will never let us down, a liberator that will remove us from underneath the authority of the power of Satan and his strongholds, remove us from underneath the law of sin and death. Jesus Christ accomplished that liberation on the cross for us. And he takes us, we're no longer, if you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you've confessed your sin to him, and you believe in him, let me tell you something, this morning, we are all liberated if that is you. But the problem is, we don't act like a liberated people sometimes, right? We, we still got struggles of the flesh, and we, we go back to sins that, that, that entangle us. We have sins that we struggle with. We have hurts in our heart that we say, God, you can never heal this hurt in my heart. You're not powerful enough. And so we remain in bondage to those things. We have habits that we've gotten involved in in our lives that we can't seem to get free from because we're not trusting in God to set us free from them. And so we're not acting like a liberated people, but we are liberated by Jesus Christ. We're just a little slow on the uptake. We call it dropping it 12 inches, right? Up here we know we're liberated by God. But it's got to drop it 12 inches into our hearts and so we can be having our hearts and lives changed and act like liberated people. Ethan gave me another image. I think it came from Keller, didn't Tim Keller? The coin's got to drop in the machine. You ever have to put a coin in a machine? You got a candy bar or soda that you want in the machine, right? And it gets stuck at the top, right? And beating on a machine, rocking the machine, trying to get that thing to go down because you really want what's going to fall down in that machine, right? You want the coin to drop. God desperately... For us to act like a liberated people. Jesus Christ is also, we discover in Ephesians 
chapter 1, verse 7, he is our redeemer. He is the redeemer. The Israelite people will go through these plagues. God will use these plagues to help to demonstrate that he is the one true God. But the, once again, the Israelite people will be found to be worshiping idols. They're in the wilderness at Mount Sinai. This is what's crazy when we get there to the story. God is showing his glory and his presence on the mountain. Thunder, lightning. Moses hasn't come down for a while, so let's go build a golden calf, right? Let's start. I mean, there's thunder and lightning, and don't touch the mountain, because if you touch the mountain, you're going to die. And we're going to go build a golden calf and start worshiping it. So we see that their hearts are going to struggle to be redeemed. They're in need of one who will redeem them completely, redeem all of us, and that is in Jesus Christ. We have a faithful high priest. We, we have one who sits at the right hand of God, the Father in heaven, and intercedes on our behalf every single day, every minute of the day, never taking any time off, and continues. As our sins come up before the throne, he turns to the Father and he says, they're under my blood. They are forgiven. And we never, ever are removed from the position of being part of the family of God. And God continues to work by the power of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and life to shine that spotlight in our spiritual houses and show us where we've got sin, we've got brokenness that God needs to address and deal with. And we can seek forgiveness for those things because of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ also adopts us into his family. 2 Corinthians 6.16, 6, we, we, we understand that we are called to be children of God. There's nothing. Becoming part of the family of God is not something we earn. There's nothing you can do to gain it. It is a gracious gift to us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. We go from being enemies of God to being part of the family of God. And what's amazing about being part of the family of God is because we're part of the family of God, we're given this possession. We are co-heirs with Christ. And I don't know if there's a statement in Scripture that is more unfathomable. How can I ever be a co-heir with Christ? That's absurd. But it's possible because of the work that Christ accomplished on our behalf. And we're given this possession in 1 Peter 1.4 that will never fade, that will never go away. The possession that is given to the Israelites gets taken away from them. This land gets taken away from them. Their sin, their disobedience, other people come in and conquer, and, and finally they're carried off away in slavery. We are in need of a possession that will never end and never fade, and that possession is promised to us through the work that was accomplished in Jesus Christ in the eternal kingdom of God that will never fade. Christ is the fulfillment of the very name of God. The very, as he says, I am the Lord, that when we think of Jesus Christ, why do you think people want to take that name in vain? Because it's the most powerful name on the earth. It is that the name that every person will bow and every knee will, every mouth will confess and every knee will bow to him. He is the king and he is the Lord. And people don't want to be reminded of it. People want to put that name down. But it is the name Jesus Christ that is the most powerful name in all the earth. 
And that when we think of Jesus Christ, when we read Jesus Christ in the scriptures, we're to think of this. We're to think of him as a liberator. We're to think of him as a redeemer. We're to think of him as the one who adopts us as children. We're to think of him as the one who gives an eternal possession. So it's not just a name to gloss over, but it's a name that we find all of these promises to ring true. Why does, why does God tell Moses this right here? Because as Moses struggles to lead people to follow God, God wants Moses to continue to keep this before him. Moses, I am in the process of redeeming, liberating, adopting, and giving you a possession. And I'm in the process of doing the same thing to them. It's not about your plan and it's not about your timing. It's about my promises to do exactly what I've said. These should give us such hope to live this out as brothers and sisters in the family of God. That we don't get to give up on each other. We don't get to walk away. Because it's, we're, if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, then it's about his name. And it's about the work that he has accomplished and he's going to accomplish. We kind of believe here at Livingstone that this is really all about Jesus. And it's about us pursuing him and following him and living our lives for him. Oh, I wish at this point, <laughs> you got you to gotta expect that Moses, I don't know, after reading this, I get really excited. I'm going, oh, this is our God. This is our Lord. This is our King. And, and Moses, I think he gets excited and he runs off. And what's it say here in verse, verse 9? Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel. What did he speak to them? He just spoke to them, hey, there's seven I wills that God's going to accomplish because of his name. And, and it's all bound up in his name. And because of his name, he's revealed his name to us. He's going to do these things for us. And how do they respond? But, got to love those things. But they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. I don't think if there could have been a more perfect message given for Moses to take to the people. And even still then, they were so focused on their circumstance and their situation, the burden they were under, the captivity they were under, they were not able to hear the word of God. And it's going to take God's divine action to prove to these people that this is the true God that he is faithful to keep his promises. So it's kind of arrogant of you and I to think that we can roll out of here with the most perfect speech, the most perfect uh, philosophical statement that we're just going to go, oh, I'm just going to go win my neighbor with Christ if I could just win this argument, right? God has to work in order to reveal himself to them. Now, from that position, it gives us great hope, hopefully, that the burden's not on you and I to win people to Jesus. The burden on us is to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ. And even as we deal with other brothers and sisters in Christ, we, we think that, oh, I've got this perfect, because we love them. And, and, and let me help you out here for a second. If you listen to sermons for, to help other people, you're missing the point. <laughs> and maybe you're sitting here this morning, you're like, well, this would be really good for so-and-so. No, this is really good for you. This is really good for me. God has been whooping my tail all week over this, right? I'm studying this passage going, oh, this is, no, it's good for me. Oh, no, it's good for me. Um, and God's really been showing me in my heart that I need to trust him and his plan that he is the God who I will because of his name. 
That even as we think about other brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, we, we hold them with open hands to God and say, God, I want to be there present with them. I want to walk alongside of them. And brothers and sisters, it's going to be messy and it's going to be hard, and you're going to have your heart broken. I can only imagine how Moses and Aaron felt when those Israelites walked out from that meeting, and they turned to them and said, this is all your fault. We're getting beaten. Our hands are bleeding because of the hard work and labor. People, and it's your fault, Moses and Aaron. It's going to be a tough tasking. But if our focus is on the God who will, we can endure those, those moments. We can even say when we need to say, and maybe even sometimes when we don't need to say, I'm sorry. I don't mean to hurt you. I don't mean I'm not standing in judgment over you. I just want you to love Jesus the way I love Jesus. And I want to walk with you through this process, and I'll do whatever it takes to walk alongside of you. But I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to give up on you. Because Christ doesn't do it with us. Moses is going to try one more time to weasel out of this. And God does not give up on Moses. And Moses doesn't give him an out. He says, Moses, no. <laughs> Read this right here. He says, so the Lord said to Moses, go in and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of this land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. See, before, I actually had the elders worshiping God and excited. They're not even excited anymore. They hate me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. He's back to this. I've got a speech problem, God. I, I, I can't talk well. I can't put words together. Probably one of the most educated of all the Israelites at this time. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. God reminds Moses and Aaron of the call. And just because it's hard, just because they can't see the complete deliverance taking place, just because at this time it seems like a lost cause, God says, there's no exiting this. I will. I told you because of who I am to be a part of my plan of I will. And what a great plan to be part of. Do you know that this morning? That you can be a part of God's I will plan? God, you can be part of Jesus Christ liberating people as you live out your faith in our community with each other, as you speak of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he's done in your life, you're going to be part of the I wills. And as you encourage one another and as you see somebody grow up in the faith in Jesus Christ, you're going to be part of the I wills of God redeeming people's hearts and minds. And as we draw together as a family, as we gather together on Sunday mornings and we link shields together and we worship Jesus Christ together and we celebrate the King, we get to get, get this, we get to be part of that family of God. And as we struggle through the hard times with each other, as we mourn for one another, like we're doing with the Laggy family, like yesterday was Jim Laggy's funeral service. 
And as we celebrate the anniversaries of loved ones who've gone before us, get to be part of the family. But he encourage one another. As we watch a brother or sister enter into sin, we don't just stand in judgment over them and say, oh, look at them, they're, they're in sin. But we come alongside of them and say, Brother, sister, I love you. Jesus loves you. That's not what he has for you. He's got this amazing life for you. And we grow together. And because we're in relationship with one another, we can turn to each other and say, that's not what God wants for you. Let me, let me show you from the scriptures what God has in store for you. And let's confess and repent and leave that and pursue Jesus. Come pursue Jesus with me and be a family together. We get a, together, remind each other as we go, as we grow, as we gather together. And even as we give of our time, talents, and resources together, we can remind each other of the future come. The possession that we are guaranteed for those who are in Christ Jesus. That when those days get hard, when we want to quit, we can lean into each other and say, can't give up. We're living for the kingdom. We can't give up. We're serving a king who's got this amazing possession for us. And we, we want to have, live our lives in light of that possession. Got to tell you a story about Jim Laggy. The first time I met Jim and Edith was in the hospital. Jim was in the midst of a 30-day hospital stay. Now, I'm not a fan of hospitals, which the irony of my wife being a PA is just is dripping, right? I like to go visit people and encourage them and then quickly leave. One of these days, God may put me in one there just for humbling moments. But as I went and visited Jim, I expected to meet a guy who was bitter, angry, upset, because he had to lay pretty flat and still. He had extreme swelling in his limbs, extreme. And problems with congestive heart failure and issues like that. And so here he was, and I walked in, and I see this guy who's smiling. And I introduced myself as the new pastor and he's so excited to see me. And he shows me the menu for the hospital. He goes, look at all these options. Right? He's excited to be there. I'm like, how in the world are you excited to be in a hospital eating hospital food? And every time I go back, okay, a few more days, give him a few more days. Surely by now he's going to be grumpy, right? No. I've tried it. this one, this one, and this one. This one I think is my favorite. Even in Jim's last days, he had such a gracious heart, praising Edith for her cooking and speaking and telling me of the story of how they met in Beulah, North Dakota. Or is it, see, North, is it Brian, North Dakota? Yeah, am I getting much? Yeah. Speaking of how much he loved his family and his friends and how much he loved his Lord, and he asked to take communion with me the Tuesday before he passed. He was so gracious towards me, so gracious towards others and loving. And he said to me, Scott, would you please pray? Pray that God would not delay any longer in taking me home. And those of us who are there that day in the emergency room or came shortly after witnessed how quickly God took him home 
Jim was living his life out in those days of chemotherapy, swelling, radiation, pain, and light of the future glory and possession that he was going to receive. Jesus had liberated, redeemed, adopted Jim and gave him, and he is currently delighting in God's eternal possession. We miss him. We mourn him. And it's right we do so. Because that's what it means to love one another. Good old song, The Dance by Garth Brooks, right? Wouldn't have wanted to miss the dance. Brothers and sisters, it's a pleasure and a privilege and an honor to serve one another, to be a part of each other's lives and to pursue Christ and pursue Christ together. It's going to come with some bumps in the road. But as those bumps happen, that revelation of who Jesus Christ is and the power of his name will become more and more clear to us. And we will become more and more effective communicators of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Please join me in prayer. Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word and the power. Don't call us. I thank you. You didn't call Moses and you don't call us to pursue you empty-handed. But you give us the revelation of who you are. You give us the power of the name of Jesus Christ to go forth, to live and to share the gospel, to communicate clearly who our Savior is and to lead others to follow him. Thank you, Lord God, for this amazing opportunity. In Jesus' most holy and wonderful name we pray and by the power of the Holy Spirit.